Good morning and welcome. And the Lord be with you. Grace and peace to us all in the name of Christ our Lord. We come as his guest as we gather together this community of faith to worship our risen and living Lord. It is a great joy to be with you to share in this time of worship. We are especially grateful for those who may be visiting. We are blessed by the presence of our guests. I pray this is a blessed time for us all. And we'll just remind you that we find some registration pads in our pews because it helps us to know of you sharing in worship as we gather this morning at First Church. We are mindful as well of opportunities as they are before us for service, remembering the ministries of the Lunch Bunch throughout each week, each Tuesday and Thursday morning. Volunteers are always welcome. We thank you um, for the gifts that we are receiving in support of the Uptown Trick or Treat. We are grateful to be an Uptown Church where we can reach out and get to know our neighbors and be a blessing, and we look forward to doing that as part of the Uptown Halloween on October 31st. And again, in two weeks, we are blessed to be the host site for the Martinsville Community Care Collaborative. We're seeing some signs and uh, volunteer opportunities are plenty for that. And we look forward to again, working with our neighbors, with other faith groups and service agencies to help offer the Community Care Collaborative. As we gathered yesterday here at our Uptown Ministry Center, we shared in the ministry, the food bank and clothes closet. Uh, Jim Roberts, thank you for the numbers that you offer. It was quite a busy day apparently. 140 families served by way of the food bank, 204 boxes packed, 458 people served by way of the food bank. And as far as the closed closet, 113 households served, 468 people total served by way of the closed closet. Again, thank you for your support of these ministries throughout the month, and we look forward to the third Saturday of November as we host these ministries again. We gather for worship, and again, the Gospel of Luke before us, we remember how important the ministry of prayer is to Luke. Look forward to sharing that word. Look forward to the music as it is offered, and thanks to Becky Smith for leading us in music this morning. We prepare to worship God together.
Thank you. Our call to worship is before us, a very appropriate call uh, to today. I invite us to stand as we share in this call. As the rains pour from heaven, soaking the earth that it may produce good things, we have been blessed with many gifts and talents. Come, let us worship and celebrate the mighty love and power of God. Remembering prayer as central to our life as followers of Jesus, I invite us to go to God with this opening prayer. Lord, your words are sweet to the taste, sweeter than honey. Let them be our daily meditation and our study. Give us ears to hear, for we marvel at your instruction. Train us in righteousness, grant us patience and persistence, and equip us for every good work. Inspire our faith and give us voices to proclaim your message. Guide our feet, keep us from every false way, for you alone speak the words of life. Amen. And I would invite our children to come forward at this time, as Matt Hoover will lead us in our children's time. Hey, you guys. <laughs> I'm doing good, too. Nobody want to sit on my left side? You're all just right there? Okay. I'll scoot over. Scoot down. Well, how's it going, you guys? 
Good. I'm glad. Did you guys have fun yesterday? Who went on the trip? I think all of you did. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So, I got one question for all you real quick. Is God really good to you guys? Like, how do you know that God is good? He does good stuff? Like, what kind of good stuff? <laughs> I didn't hear that, but it sounded funny. He heals people. Yeah, definitely. He heals people. See, when we talk about God, one of the ways that we talk about God is that God is a judge. Now, what do you guys think of when you think of a judge? Kind of like the wake people, the weird curls that have the gavels and stuff and say order in the court. Yeah, kind of like that. But we know that God is a good judge. And we know that he's good because he loves us very, very much. So whenever something bad happens or whenever somebody says lies about us, it goes before God. And when God sees us, he knows how to rule in a way that's for our benefit. He calls out the liars and the bullies and lets them know that they were liars and bullies. God knows the truth. And in him is the truth. So whenever somebody comes up before him, he's able to appropriately judge their actions. And in doing so, he knows the truth. So when somebody tries to lie in the presence of God, it doesn't really work out that well. It doesn't go that great. But if it's on your behalf, it's very, very good. And we know that God is good because he does heal people. And he cares about the things that happen to us. And he knows all the things that happen to us. So whenever something bad happens, we know that we have a good God in heaven who is ruling for us in our favor. So let's go ahead and pray. Dearly Father, we thank you so much for being a good judge. And we thank you so much for being the one who sees what is right and sees what is wrong and knows how to act accordingly to it. We thank you, Jesus, so much for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, children.
working. Why? Again, from the Gospel of Luke, the 18th chapter, verses 1 through 8. First we pray. Lord, you have reached out to us. You have brought us here to this place this morning. You have a word for us because it is your desire to heal us, to save us, to draw us to yourself. And you do this by declaring your word. For this we give you thanks and pray that all things would be removed that would keep us from hearing your word. Amen. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor regarded man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, vindicate me against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will vindicate her, or she will wear me out by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God vindicate his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will vindicate them speedily. Nevertheless, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of our Lord. Well, as we share this Gospel of Luke, it is evident the practice of prayer is vital to Luke. It is evident this practice of prayer is at the heart of what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus according to Luke. If we take time to count, we will find there are 29 times in which Luke makes some mention of prayer in his gospel, far more than any other gospel, more references to prayer than any book of the New Testament except the book of Acts. And who wrote the book of Acts? Luke, with its 33 references to prayer. Again, prayer is vital to Luke. For example, we know each gospel recalls the baptism of Jesus, but only Luke tells us that after Jesus was baptized, Jesus was praying. Luke tells us that just before Jesus calls his 12 disciples, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God, all night. The gospels of Matthew and Mark, along with Luke, tell of the transfiguration of Jesus, but only Luke tells us regarding the transfiguration, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray, and as he was praying, the appearance of his countenance was altered and his raiment became dazzling white. Again, Luke makes it clear the practice of prayer is at the heart of of what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus. And in case we are at risk of forgetting this, Luke sets before us this peculiar story this morning, this portrait of prayer. I say peculiar because generally speaking, this is not the model of prayer we set forth to follow this model in which we are presented with a woman, a widow, who relentlessly persists against an unjust judge, telling him, vindicate me against my adversary. Not only is this relentless, somewhat obnoxious widow an unlikely model of prayer, this judge who feared neither God nor man hardly seems fit as one who represents prayer answered. A relentless, persistent, obnoxious widow pestering a judge who feared neither God nor man. At the heart of this relationship, a model of prayer according to Jesus. Who knew? Now, I've shared with you previously of 
some gifts my late father once gave me. The gifts of which I speak are replicas of a couple of works of art, art portraying the practice of prayer. In one of these works of art, an elderly woman is portrayed as a woman in prayer, her open Bible before her. In a similar work of art, there is an elderly man represented in prayer, his daily bread before him. Now I share this because I believe these portrayals of prayer in which revered saints are before us, where there is clear representation of the discipline of prayer, this is what we wish to have before us when it comes to establishing some model of what a life of prayer should look like. Look at these saints with their scripture and their daily bread. That's what prayer looks like, we say. But that's hardly the model of prayer before us in this 18th chapter of Luke. But perhaps, perhaps there are those times when the practice of prayer is more active, more relentless, more tenacious than we may have believed it to be. It's Luke again who shares with us a story unique to him. It is a story found in the sequel to his gospel because again, Luke wrote not only the gospel but also the book of Acts. And in Acts, there is this story recalling how an apostle named Philip is traveling from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip is making this trip, Luke tells us, because an angel of the Lord told him to do so. While Philip is traveling from Jerusalem to Gaza, there is at the same time, traveling from Jerusalem, a eunuch from Ethiopia. Luke tells us the reason this eunuch had gone, from Jerus had gone to Jerusalem was to worship. Returning home, he reads from scripture from the prophet Isaiah. Now, I don't know how those who first heard or read this scripture responded to what Luke shares with us from the book of Acts. I do believe it is fair to suggest that at this point in their reading, they may stop and say to themselves, wait a minute, did I hear that right? Am I reading this correctly? I say this because we may assume that those first encountering the book of Acts are persons who know their scripture. That is to say, those encountering the scripture that is Acts would know the scripture that is Deuteronomy. And to knowing this scripture, they would know that the 23rd chapter of Deuteronomy declares that a eunuch, a man sexless either by accident or surgery, shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. It's in their Bible. How is it then that Luke, who knows his Bible as well, tells of this eunuch who went to Jerusalem to worship. It's clear from Scripture this man doesn't belong. You can look it up. And to complicate matters further, not only is this man an outsider by his standing as a eunuch, he is an outsider as a resident of Ethiopia. You see, at the time, Luke shares this story of the encounter between Philip and the eunuch, and an encounter which concludes with Philip baptizing this man. Ethiopia might as well have been on the dark side of the moon. Ethiopia was seen as an exotic, distant land, a place hanging from the fringe of the earth, a place one would never wish to go and certainly not wish to be from. But in writing this book of Acts, Luke shares a wealth of inspiring stories regarding the growth of the early church. In other words, Luke had the option of leaving this one story out of his account. We would understand had he chosen to do so. Why risk offending your audience 
by recalling this incident that runs counter to the word of the Lord? Why risk confusing those whom you wish to bring to faith in Christ? Perhaps because Luke has the same experience as Philip as he travels from Jerusalem to Gaza. That is, the angel of the Lord speaks to him, the Spirit speaks to him, and he knows he cannot withstand God. Now it's true. The fact that early in the life of the church, this eunuch from Ethiopia is welcomed among the people of God, it's stunning. We do well to linger over the scripture to see how wide God throws open the door so as to welcome all. We dare not rush past this witness. But along with this stunning encounter between Philip and this eunuch from Ethiopia, there is also this component to the story that grabs me, stops me, and renders me silent. You see, I read this story, I look at this eunuch, and I wonder, what is it like to love the Lord as much as this man loves the Lord? I mean, look at him again. He knows he's not welcome within the assembly of the Lord. He risked being found out as he finds his place within this assembly. Still, he boards his chariot, makes his way to Jerusalem for but one purpose, to worship God. Again, what's it like, brothers and sisters, to love God as much as this man loves God. What is it like to love God so much that you will not be prevented from going to worship God even though others may say you don't belong? What is it like to love God so much that you risk being ostracized and rebuked as you seek your place within the assembly of the Lord? What is it like to love God so much that even as you leave the assembly of the Lord, you still pour over the word of the Lord, hungering for nothing more than understanding his word? Brothers and sisters, what is it like to love God that much? So much so that nothing else matters, so much that all heart and soul and mind and strength are given to nothing other than the worship of God. What is it like as a widow in an adversarial relationship to expend all energy, persistently, relentlessly pestering this unjust judge until he makes things right for you. I was at Smith Memorial Church yesterday in Collinsville for our annual charge and district conferences. Our district superintendent, Denise Bates, presided over these conferences. I am grateful for the leadership she is bringing to the Danville District. As she led us through this time of conferencing, she invited us to reflect upon the future of the church, to reflect upon how we may faithfully live into the future God has set before us. As we shared in questions and answers regarding how best to live into God's future, the practice of prayer was mentioned more than once as a means by which we live into God's future for his church. Well, I confess a couple of reactions on my part to this repeated call for prayer. And while part of my reaction is total agreement with the need for us to be in prayer as we move into God's future, I also at times confess this, 
But prayer so often seems like such a passive practice. That's when I'm thankful for and indicted by this scripture from Luke. For here is a model of prayer. This widow pestering this unjust judge until he can stand it no more. This is no model of passive prayer. Because this widow bothers me, I will vindicate her or she'll wear me out by her continual coming. Good, great. And will not God vindicate his elect who cry to him day and night? If we are speaking of prayer as a passive act, we're mistaken. Prayer. A widow wearing out an unjust judge with her relentless, persistent assault on him day after day. Prayer. Traveling to Jerusalem in order to worship, even though there's every reason to believe you're not welcome. Prayer, an active, passionate, insistent appeal to the one who has made us in his image and therefore must listen to us. I'm grateful for the witness of Debbie Thomas. Debbie Thomas, she's a pastor in California, and she offers her reflection on this scripture and her reflection on her experience with prayer. What happens when we pray, she asks. What is prayer for? I can only speak from experience. But I know that when I persist in prayer, really persist with a full heart over a long period of time, something happens to me. My sense of who I am, to whom I belong, what really matters in this life and why these things mature and solidify. My heart grows stronger. It becomes less fragile and flighty. Once in a while, it even soars. And sometimes, here's the surprise, these good things happen even when I don't receive the answer I'm praying for. Not that unanswered prayer doesn't take its toll. It hurts and it baffles. It can break our hearts. But maybe that's the point of the parable too. The work of prayer is hard. The widow's predicament is not straightforward. She has to make a costly choice every single day. Will I keep asking? Dare I risk humiliation one more time? Do I still believe that my request is worthy of articulation? Can I be patient? Am I still capable of trusting in the possibility of justice? And will I love God with all the passion and energy and tenacity this widow. Amen.
respond as we affirm our faith with words of scripture from 1 Timothy. Number 889 in our hymnals, we affirm our faith. There is one God and there is one mediator, Christ Jesus, who came as a ransom for all to whom we testify. This saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in throughout the world, taken up in glory. Great indeed is the mystery of the gospel. As we stand, we welcome one another as we pass the peace of Christ. Our ushers will come forward as we worship God with his tithes and our offerings. <clears throat> Let us pray. You bless us, Lord with gifts beyond measure. You bless us even with the gift of your Son. We have come to worship you. And we've come to offer these gifts as a gesture of worship with the prayer that you would be glorified and your people be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
seated. Again, Luke in particular calls us to be people of prayer. So we respond in faith as people of prayer, as those who ask and seek and knock, as those who pray without ceasing, and we do so by way of the prayers of the people. We know this is a responsive time of prayer in which I will name a series of petitions of prayer, concluding each petition with the words, Lord, in your mercy, and inviting from you the response, hear our prayer, and inviting from you the naming of those concerns you would like to speak within this time of prayer as this community of faith. Then we conclude with the prayer Christ has taught us. We go to God as we pray. Lord, we are here in part because of the faithful and enduring witness of those who have gone before us. We are here because of the witness of those who were tenacious in their faith, those who would not let anything come in between them and you, those who trusted that you would receive them just as they were with all concerns and complaints, We are here because you respond to those who approach you in faith and prayer. We are grateful for this inheritance and pray that we likewise would be faithful and tenacious in our pursuit of you, in our trust of you, in the assurance that you receive us as we are and that you work out your purpose in our lives. We are grateful you call us to come to you in prayer and that you are daring and loving enough even to set before us those unexpected models of prayer. As we embrace these words of Jesus, may we be those who do not lose heart, but who know that you shall make things right and vindicate all who cry to you day and night. Lord, in your mercy, And hear us, Lord, as we pray for the people of this congregation. Lord, in your mercy. Rebecca Crabtree's family, Ann Moore's mother, August, and she's in the hospital. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for those who suffer and those in trouble. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the concerns of this community. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for your world, its peoples, and its leaders. Lord, in your mercy. in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, we pray for your church, its leaders, its members, and its mission. Lord, in your mercy. For Bishop Lewis, Denise Bates, the ministries of First Church. Lord, in your mercy. And hear our voices, Lord, joined with those of your saints, those whose witness continues, those who bless us with their presence now 
as we pray as Christ has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We stand as we sing. be a damp and somewhat dreary day, but we carry the light of Christ, a light that is inspired, a light that is ignited, and a light we carry forward to the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 